to Psalm 30. If you are new here to the church, you know that we've been in Exodus. We will still be in Exodus, but we are going through the commands. And so we're going to spend most of our time in different spaces. And so I'm going to read you an excerpt from, from Psalms 30. I, I need you to really hone in on my words. If, if things are distracting you now, just kind of push them aside and, and just really focus on the moment in which I read to you. In Psalms 30, because we're going to end with that thought, and I want it really tattooed on your mind, because the story and the text in which we come to is really going to make sense near the end with some really hard text to go through today. We're going to see God's glory and forgiveness and salvation in it, so we're going to begin there and end there as well. So I want you to highlight, when I say highlight, be engaged, be in it. So look at Psalms 30, starting with verses... So the psalmist says, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Now, highlight five for me. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a life. Will you highlight that? His anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said that I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made my pleas, my supplication. But what profit is there in my blood When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? The psalmist says, hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me, Lord. Be my helper. Now, this is really what I want you to hang on. Look at verses 11 and 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Is that not a good word? You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put on off my sackcloth and closed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the encouragement of just the people that we have I thank you for the mission trip that was had last week, what a blessing New York was and the people who went. But every time I'm gone, for for no matter what reason, if it's missions or if it's vacation or if it's sickness, no matter what, I always miss my people. And so, Lord, just singing there and being with one another, man, it has restored me. And, Lord, I just thank you for this. Thank you for those who sing, for those who teach, for those who attend, give, worship, Just hand-in-hand fellowship with one another. I thank you for this church. Lord, as we go through a very challenging, difficult text this morning, Lord, I pray that you speak through and that you show the seriousness and you show the destruction of sin and the call to protection. But Lord, you also show us forgiveness and grace and mercy through what your son accomplished through his blood on the cross. Lord, I pray that we see celebration somehow in some way in destruction that we leave here with our heads held high, being forgiven and in rest of the forgiveness that we have been given. In your precious name, the church says in harmony. Amen. Amen.
So go to Exodus 20. And so for my kids here, this is a, you know, we're going to make a lot of um, points on the topic of sex. And so this is going to be uncomfortable for some. For some, it won't be. And for some, this will create a lot of conversation with parents and loved ones. And you'll hear things maybe you've never heard before. And so a parent or anyone in any space, um, I would challenge you to be okay with the setting in which all of this is discussed this morning. I remember many years ago, this woman comes to me and she finds me in my office, not here with me anymore. And she says, Hunter, I have kids. I brought up sex and it wasn't a message on sex. It was just, it was brought up. And I remember her following me to my office and I tried to lose her, but I couldn't. She finds me there and she goes, hey, my children did not know of any of the things that you spoke about. I really wish you would have given us a heads up beforehand. And so, guys, I want to really challenge you that if your pastor can't talk about it in the confines of church, you're in big trouble. Because the music industry and the entertainment industry and the schools that they go to and the friends that they walk with, like they're not holding back nor calling you when they're preaching that sermon. So if your pastor can't talk about the things that I'm about to talk about, you're in grave danger. Okay, and so I understand that your kids are going to be asking a lot of questions after this and that I might put like couples in awkward circumstances because Some of us have struggled and some of us has fallen and some of us are in the midst of it now and people don't even know it. It's hidden sin. And I understand all of those things. And I take no pleasure walking into those spaces. I want you to hear that. I take no pleasure in it. As I'm reading through scripture, I could have easily skipped this and read it and gone to the next and kind of maneuvered it. But I chose to be here because it's important to do so because I love you just a fraction of what the Lord loves you in, and that's why he has it for us today. So look at Exodus 20. And so my brother Brent here did a marvelous job last week. Praise God. He, he went through a hard text and did a fantastic job. I'm thankful to him and, and that the heaviness continues this week. So every week, and Brent did it last week, we, we've read the whole Ten Commandments, and then we'll just kind of stop with where we are. So look at verse 1. Man, as I started down my rabbit trail, I talked about the kids. I I want my kids to listen to me. And so for my kiddos, and if you're in school right now, and and you've heard some of those words that I spoke about, I want your Bibles open, and I really want you to hang with me, okay? It's very important that you do so. So God's Word says this. And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved images, any likeness of any kind that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath day the Lord your God gave you. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female one, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and he made the earth, he made the seas and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and honor your mother that your days may be long upon the land in which the Lord your God has given you. My brother Clay here taught on that on Wednesday night while we were in New York. You shall not murder. That's where Brent was on Sunday. In verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. So a lot of us, no matter how how old you are, you understand the, the common sense of the word adultery in just the layman terms of being unfaithful or, or cheating. But the word adultery in its definition is the sexual act of intimacy with someone other than your spouse. So, so a lot of you guys are, are younger or maybe you're older and you're in a you're in a different space. Maybe you've been divorced and you're not married again and you're dating. Or maybe you're in middle school or high school or college. I don't know your, your story, but, but maybe you have someone with you, right? And you understand that in its basis terms that even though you're not married, it's not good to, to cheat. Like even someone in elementary school, in middle school, or high school, or college. Like if you have someone that you call, you know, your girlfriend or, or boyfriend and you're courting someone, you know, it's still not good to be unfaithful, right? That's not treating our neighbor right. That's not being kind or loving or, or honorable. Um, that's being disrespectful in so many different ways. It's, it's not God honoring, but it's not adultery, so adultery really hangs on two things, and, and I need you to hear me, two things that make adultery different than any other issue, and that is sexual intimacy and marriage. So sexual intimacy, the formula with adultery, is sexual intimacy and marriage. And so for you and I to understand adultery, how to protect ourselves from it, how to shield away from it, how to honor God in our marriage, we need to understand before we get into adultery, we need to take a second as a church, young and old, married and not married, we need to first understand sex and marriage. So understand, sex is a gift. Sex is a blessing. My wife is not here with me today and I was going to have a slide that says sex is a gift. And she even said, hey, I'm not going to be there, but that's not a wise idea. Don't make that slide, right? (laughs) Just say it and move on. But it is. I was even wondering if you were going to laugh. If it wasn't, I was just going to keep going real quick. (laughs) Sex is a gift. It is a blessing. God told Adam to cleave to his wife and what? Multiply. Sex is God's plan. And the fact that sex is enjoyable, the fact that we we have this intimate relationship with the one that we call our wife or our husband, something that no one else is invited to, but it is just between us. And the fact that it is good, the fact that God's plan is enjoyable really just points to his goodness, right? Sex is a gift. It's good. It brings us closer to the Lord and our spouse. 
It's what's special about marriage. One of the many factors. But the truth is, guys, so many of us, if not all of us, have really been taught poorly on the subject. And so usually when it comes to sex and sexual intimacy, because there's more than just intercourse that we're going to speak about. Most of us have been taught really the wrong way. And so the high majority of you were taught the wrong way in the fact that you weren't taught anything. And so how did you learn about sex, church? From bad decisions. From middle school and high school and college, you found out on your own. Because mom and dad didn't know the words to say to you, right? You never had the birds or bees conversation or you had a pastor willing to walk down this road with you. And so at 14, 15 years old, all of your sexual knowledge came from Grey's Anatomy and your friends your age, right? And so you were brought up with this distorted thinking that sex is really not that important. And so sex was whatever you wanted it to be. And so if you felt okay with it or if you could justify it, you probably knew that it was kind of taboo and not good. But if you could justify it and lie to yourself, you were okay with it. So you would change the rules of the game. And then some of you were were taught about sex, but you weren't taught that sex was good. And please understand me. It is weird for you to sit down with your kid and go, man, sex is great. I'm not telling you to do that. But most of you weren't taught in a way of talking about how sexual intimacy is a blessing. So your parents came up to you and they didn't hold back. They said, alcohol is bad and drugs is bad and cursing is bad and lying is bad and sex is bad. And and so you have grown up and you heard mom and dad and the pastor talk about it. But now you're older and you're married and intimacy is still kind of weird because sex has become this really bad thing in your mind. So most of you in this room, like I said, 99 of 100 would probably sit across the table from me and go, Hunter, no one actually ever until today sat down with me and really talked about the biblical understanding of sex and intimacy in marriage, I've just been trying to figure out as I go. And for you guys, no matter how old you are, how does that usually work out? When there is anything in life where we go, you know what, just just try your best. How does that usually work out? And so none of us should be surprised when it doesn't work out well. And so, as I said, for a lot of my my moms and dads in this room, some of your kids are going to look at you after this. And, you know, you can call me if you want, but I pray that you talk to them. You kind of reiterate the blessings of what we read and talked through today. Concerning God's creation plan Sex is the first wedding gift given. I like that thought. So if you've been married before and you know that moment, man, this is such a perfect day. This is going to be great. I got time off work. Everybody's here for me and they're going to bring me stuff. We're going to celebrate. I'm going to open up all of these things I'm probably never going to use. But God gives us sex as really the first wedding gift. Sex is not just a gift, but it was in its infancy given in the beginning of time. God's plan has always been marriage. It's always been the family. That's not saying that you have to be, but man and woman and the family in unity is not just simple thought of evolution. That is God's perfect design. 
And so when you look at homosexuality and you look at divorce and you look at these issues, you can see the holes in it, right? Man fits with woman. Why? Because that's how God designed it. And so what we have, if you're a simple-minded individual like myself and you want those bullet points, it's simply this. We have creation and then God gives us unity and then we have multiplication. That's God's plan. God's plan has always been the family and the breakdown of the family has really centered around a lot of our sexual sins. And it's been a lot of the reasons for the breakdown of the world. Man has misunderstood and misused sex since the beginning of time. So each week I've called you to to look back at Exodus because how the Ten Commandments are written, they kind of stop the storytelling and we forget the moment because they're like, do not do this and do not do this and do not do this, right? And so you forget the moment that the people are in, right? So every week I'll kind of pull you back to it. So remember, especially if you haven't been here, all the Israelites are free now. They're not slaves. And we're not talking about a handful. We're talking about hundreds of thousands. And so they're at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And what does Moses tell them? He goes, hey, listen, you can't touch God, run to God, or even touch the ground that he stands on. And so all the Israelites are looking at this mountain covered in flames and smokes. They're losing their minds. They're hungry and thirsty. And what does God say? Don't fool around on your wife. And you sure some of those guys were like, man, like I get it, but this lady hasn't showered in about eight months. Like that's not really where my mind's at, right? Like I understand that's a temptation, but it might not be a top 10 for me, right? So why does God tell them this? This is important. To the Israelites, a bunch of homeless wanderers at the beginning of time, Thirsty, hungry, confused and angry. Where are we going? Why does God say, I'm going to give you 10 commandments. And one of them is to be faithful in marriage. Why does God give them that? First, understand that God is speaking to the moment, but he's really talking about the future. God is calling them to protect To be on the lookout for, to have a plan against. It is essential. And this is why I want my kids to hear me. Because some of my kids are 12 and 14 and 16 years old. And you go, or you're married and you don't struggle with any of this. And you go, Hunter, man, like this has nothing to do with me. It probably didn't have a lot to do with them either. And so this is what I would tell you when it comes to adultery and sexual sins and pornography. There are so many people who have struggled and I sat with them. They have struggled. And you know what they always say to me? Hunter, before I fell, I just wish someone would have told me. Like, I wish I was in a sermon or I had a brother or sister to walk with me as a child and go, hey, listen, this is going to destroy you and you better guard against it. You better protect what is most important. So some of the Israelites were like, hey, man, I'm just trying to find water. And he goes, listen, there's going to be a day where you have enough water, but temptation is going to be at your doorstep. You need to heed the words that I'm saying. This commandment to not commit adultery is speaking to our young people, to our people who are newly married, 
to our, per- to our people who are on our second and third man, is talking to all of us to protect what we desire to keep safe. So what do we call to protect? Let's slow it down. Marriage is more than the next step in dating. Do you hear me? Marriage is more than just the evolution of your relationship, right? Marriage is a covenant between man and his God. It is a promise. And so I love doing premarital counseling, and I can't tell you how many people don't know what I'm talking about. And they just thought marriage was like, you know what, like, She's attracted to me and I'm attracted to her and I'm not getting any younger and she makes me laugh and we both like ball football and I don't hate her mother-in-law. You know, like, like, so I guess we need to get married. But what is marriage? Marriage is a ministry. Marriage is a covenant. When you walk down that aisle all dressed in white and you're standing before me and family and friends and people are taking pictures and crying and you can't wait to eat that cake and you say, I do. And you're not speaking to me. You're not speaking to your random cousin who drove from Nashville. Who are you speaking to? You're speaking to the Lord. Marriage in which we are called to protect is a covenant. It is a promise between the creation and a creator. It's not just a promise, but it's also a symbol. It's a ministry. The marriage is for believers. I said this at Christmas, guys. Like People have taken Christmas and you've done whatever you want to with it. But, but Christmas is for Christians. And you're like, well, Hunter, how do you know? Biblically and historically, marriage is the same way. So I know that we've opened the floodgates to whoever wants to get married. And if you want to get divorced and all of those things, listen to me. Historically and biblically, marriage is for Christians. It is a Christian ceremony. Why? Because it's between man and God. Why? Because it's a symbol. What does God's word tell us? That it's a symbol of God's love for his church. What does God call his church? His bride, I'm asking you. His bride. And so what does adultery do? Let's get uncomfortable. What does adultery do? It confuses the world because God would never step out of his love for his bride. And so God gives the gift of marriage and the blessing of sex. And the path of the family go out and multiply in your marriage and your family and how you love the Lord as a unit. And you are walking as husband and wife and children if God blesses you so. And it is a witness, it is a ministry, it is a symbol of God's love for his church. And when we step out unfaithfully in that, it confuses even the lost. So much so that the Christians have had such a bigger issue or just as an issue as the lost man, it's not even a Christian thing anymore because we couldn't really hold it up. It's confused the world so much that people don't even see it as a Christian covenant anymore. It breaks the covenant. It darkens our ministry. It confuses the world. Your marriage, if you are married today and you are struggling or you don't understand what I'm saying, here's a good one for you. Marriage is bigger than your happiness. Marriage is bigger than your happiness. 
It is a ministry. It is a ministry. You know what? I always say this. I trust my wife more than anybody on this earth. Do you know why? It is not because because I'm awesome and because I'm a great person to be married to and she couldn't do better. I think she probably could. It is not because I think she's amazing and she's so sweet that she would never do such a thing. I think it's in her. I think it's in all of us. Do you know why I trust my wife? Because my wife understands that. Because at this core, my wife understands that Hunter Jones is probably going to give her a million reasons to leave. Because there's probably a bunch of people better looking than me. There's a bunch of men that could probably meet needs that I can't. But my wife understands that at its core, marriage is about our love and our covenant before God. And that's what keeps us together. If your marriage is glued together based off of y'all's likes and y'all's commonalities and how y'all have fun, you are doomed for disaster. You better have something holding you together. And what that is, is Christ. To be built on a foundation of Jesus. And so I love doing marriage counseling. I love it because I love destroying any kind of foundation that is not Jesus. Like I'm not talking to you about date nights and intimacy and time alone and better communication. You better have your solid rock on Christ. That is what marriage is. It is a ministry. It's a mission. But listen to me. God calls us. To a bigger protection of that intimate marriage gift than just the protection of the idea of intercourse. I need you to hear it. God forbids anything outside of God's plan for marriage. And that's more and that's deeper and that's broader than just sex. It says, and you don't have to flip there. I got it for you. It says in Matthew... In Matthew 5, it says, So you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. He's talking about Exodus. But Jesus says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the lust of our minds, our daydream, and our time in pornography is adultery. Why? You go, Hunter, I didn't touch anybody. The woman that I'm looking at doesn't even know that I'm looking. It's still out of the confines of marriage. I told you for you to understand adultery, you got to understand sex and you got to understand marriage. So pornography is sinful. Premarital sex is sinful. And so you say to me, Hunter, you said that this was just about married people. That's right. So if you open the gift before you say, I do, that is outside the constraints of marriage. And that's sinful. And I've heard it all, guys, and said most of it. So for my young people, don't tune me out. I want this one to be tattooed on you. This whole idea of, well, you know what? We love each other and and we're probably going to be married. There's no verse on that. I've heard it and said it. We love each other. We're probably going to get married one day. Find me the verse and call me up. You're not married. You haven't said I do. So it's outside the constraints of marriage and it's sinful. Also, you look at homosexuality. The relations in homosexuality, no matter if you're married or not, some states have 
have distorted this and changed this. And so man and man can be married and woman and woman can be married. And no matter if you are married or not, that is still out of the outside of the context of God's design and creation plan for marriage. So it's sinful. So when we think about the sins of of adultery and the sexual sins of our hearts, for so many of us, you go, hey, Hunter, I don't feel uncomfortable in this moment because I've never touched anybody. And isn't it true that if the sins are in your heart or your mind or your eyes, you're so much more comfortable than if they were, if everybody knew that you did with your hands, right? And the truth is, like, guys, if we had to stand up and you put your sexual sins on this screen, this would be an X-rated service. If people knew your minds and what you've done and what you've desired and what you've thought and what you've watched, none of us would be worthy to be even in this room. You say, hey, Hunter, you're not making me uncomfortable at all. We should all be uncomfortable. We should all be uncomfortable. We have made mistakes. We have dishonored the Lord. We have taken things from people that God never desired for us to take. We have let down families and spouses and we have done things right now. You know, guys, here's the here's the sad thing. Right now, some people in this room feel very uncomfortable and I understand that. But some of you, you're not uncomfortable enough. And there are people that in this room that are addicted to pornography. And I don't mean just to be hard on men. I'm sure there's women who struggle with this as well. I'm not excluding you if that's your issue, but it's mostly a male problem. And so for some of you guys, you're not uncomfortable enough because you feel like, you know what? I just looked. I didn't touch. What does God's word say? You've already committed adultery as well. There's no degree of it. And so for all of us, God calls us to a purity concerning our sexual intimacy in protecting our marriage. There's no room for anything outside of it. There's no room for anything outside of it. When it comes to this issue and looking at the harm it causes and the destruction, but also the forgiveness through Christ and God's grace and mercy, I have a hard time finding any greater story than the one of David. And so I want you to see this. We're going to try to slow the moment down and I'm going to read a lot to you, but I want you to see it's a fascinating story. It's easy to grab onto. So no matter how old you are, elementary to senior, turn your Bibles to Second Samuel, please. And so I'm going to read a lot. I'm going to skip a lot. And you might think you know a lot of the story, but I bet there's something in here that you might not fully grasp. So I want you to see it. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, please. We see the whole spectrum in this story. From destruction to forgiveness. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. Look at verses 2 through 5, please. Kids, go ahead and open your Bibles. I want you to see it. Chapters, chapter 11, 2 through 5. God's Word says this. Then it happened one evening that David... Now remember, David is king. It happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing... And the woman was very beautiful to behold. 
So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said to David, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent his messengers and to look at her and took her. And she came to him and they lay together for she was cleaned from her impurity and she was returned to her home. And the woman conceived. So she sent David and told him, I am now with child. So if you know the story, David sees a woman. He sees that she is beautiful. He lusts after her. He likes what he sees. He is king. So what kings do is what I can have, I will take. And so he acts on his sinful lust. He commits adultery. And what happens to the woman? Sin starts to snowball, right? And so things become complicated. She becomes pregnant. So it complicates things. And what does David, if you know the story, we're not going to read this part of it. But what does David do to the husband? Because at this point, he's king. Things are getting messy. People are talking. This is going to mess up my life. What does he do to the husband? He has him killed. So look at 2 Samuel eleven twenty six. David has swept things under the rug. He's trying to decomplicate the sin that's in his life, trying to make things better. Has Bathsheba's husband killed? And look at verses 26 through 27. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done had displeased God. So this one night stand, right? Even to a king who can do whatever he wants. This one night stand has led to a very complicated responsibility that he had not planned or prepared for. This one night stand had led to death, it had led to murder, it had led to deceit, and it had led to guilt. This one night stand now begins this future foundation built on a mess, right? But it's not over. One thing that we see, church, is that when you open the door to sin and you act on that sin, not only does sin snowball, but what does sin do? It follows you. And so what do we do all the time from young to old? We go, you know what? I know this wasn't good, but maybe I can make it right. Maybe no one will find out. Maybe I can sweep it under the rug and maybe we can just act like this never happened. Like that never happens. Like maybe you're a little bit more craftier than I, but at the same time, when you start opening the doors and you start doing things that the Bible teaches against, it will always find you. It will always find you. So what does David do? He tries his best to make things right, but sin follows him. Look at Second Samuel chapter 12 now, verses 13. Look how it thickens. So David said to Nathan, Nathan is someone who comes before David and tells David what he's doing is wrong, right? So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So David has repented. David seeks the Lord. But listen. The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. 
Then Nathan departed to his house. So there's always sins that follow us. There's always sins that follow us. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. You think, guys, do you see this? I don't know if this ever stuck out until me to just right this moment. What, what is, whose wife is Bathsheba? Whose wife? It's David's, right? But how does, how does the Bible identify her? It's still that dead man's. I don't know if I've ever caught that before in my life. We're just having a good conversation here this Sunday morning. It says, And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and laid all night on the ground. And then we see, go skip down to 19. When David saw that his servants were whispering to one another, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said to him, he is dead. So what do we see, church? Man looks at woman. Man likes what he sees. Man knows what he wants. Man has, what, 10, 15, 20 minutes at max with her. And it leads to complete and utter devastation. For everybody. For everyone. One thing that I believe that we need to see in this story is that The issues with David and death and destruction and heartache and sadness and depression. I believe that we have to understand that it did not start with intercourse. It started with a gaze. Because what happened in David's life, he took a glance. And that glance turned into a gaze, which led to action, which ended in destruction. Do you see that? Just take a second. Go back to verse 2 in chapter 11. I'm going to read it again because I know some of us are struggling. I don't know who you are, but I want to help you. Look at verse 2. It says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Destruction began not with intercourse. Destruction began at him gazing after he glanced. And so what is God calling us to in this commandment? He is not calling us to just simply not have intercourse with people that are not our wives or our husbands. What he is calling us to is to protect our minds, our hearts, our actions, our words against temptation. What does the Bible say about David? Some low scum of the earth, no good. What What does the Bible say about David? The Bible, out of God's mouth, said, David is a man after my own heart. You know what that should show us, men and women? Never say never. Don't ever say never, none of us, including me. And so for some of you, you don't struggle with this. This is not an issue in your heart. You don't really lust after. You have intimate needs, but but you're happy and satisfied and you're in a good space. And you go, man, like, I don't know if I could ever walk down such a road. I'm sure David didn't either. You think David looked at that woman bathing and said, you know what? I believe I'm probably going to bury a child over this. You think David looked at that woman and said, you know what? I think my 15 minutes with her is probably going to be worth all the devastation I'm about to endure. You think he thought that? 
No, the truth is, guys, intercourse wasn't the issue. The issue was he didn't have a protection around him to guard himself from those temptations. Don't ever say never. Don't ever say never. For some of you guys, maybe the door's cracked because your marriage is in a struggling place right now. I am so happily married to my wife. Listen to me. I have not had a day in 17 years where I did not want to be married to Wendy. But listen to me. We have had many seasons that were not fun. We have had many seasons where we felt, you know, disconjointed and we felt like, you know what, we're distant from one another. You ever heard that one? I just feel distant from you. Doors cracked. Communication's bad. Intimacy is weak. Kids are overwhelming us. Money's tight. Communication's bad. We're not having fun. I'm resentful. You're angry. There's been many seasons in my marriage as even a very happily married man where you know what? I love you, but I don't really enjoy being around you right now. You ever had it? And the enemy goes, hey, listen, now that that door's cracked, now that the door's cracked, I'm going to tempt you. Don't ever say never. Or maybe it is the sexual needs of your heart and intimacy is weak right now. Those needs are not being met. Doors cracked. Or maybe, just maybe, maybe your marriage is strong and all your sexual needs are being met, but maybe she just smiles at you at the right time. And maybe you're just overly confident that you can spend time with that woman because you're so happy. I'm not in the midst of any temptation right now. I think that I can do it, right? The fall of David just started with him staring at this woman. And instead of turning his head and being faithful in that, he goes, you know what? I'm not going to just glance. I'm going to gaze. And when he started gazing at the woman, do you know what he said to himself? I bet I can have her. And even people told him, you don't need to do this. They told him that. And what does it say? It didn't even say what he said. He goes, listen, don't worry about it. Go get her. Because what will happen with man is all, as long as there's something to look at, man will always look at it. And so in this command to not commit adultery, the Lord is calling us to protect our marriages. No one, including your pastor, is above temptation. The more he looked, the more he wanted. And as long as there's something for man to see, man will always desire to gaze. And so what do we got to do, married couple, young individual? We have to protect what we deem as important. The word protection literally means an, in, uh, an intentional act of keeping safe what we deem as important to us. So there is no room for pornography, even mild versions of it. And so what I mean by mild versions of it, I don't care if it's the Internet if it's someone speaking to you about such things, if it's a magazine, I don't care what it is. There's no room for it. It's like alcohol. I was talking to a brother of mine this week and he said to me, he goes, Hunter, my wife, her father and grandfather and great grandfather were alcoholics. And he goes, listen, I'm not even talking to you about is alcohol a sin or not? Because he goes, as a man, though, I'm not bringing that into my home because I don't even want to tempt my wife with it. Like I want it out. And I don't care how silly it is. I don't care what you think about me. I'm not bringing that into my home. Why? Because I'm trying to protect what I deem most important. There's no room for any pornography in your life, men. And I know your lies. I know your lies. I know how you feel better about yourself. 
There's no room for it. Because man will see, and then man will gaze, and then man will want, and then man will destroy. Every time. Every time. And that is not the gift that God gave us in marriage. There's no room for close relationships with the opposite sex. And you're like, come on, man, what are you talking about? And when I say close, listen, I have a lot of female friends that that I speak to and I love and I pray with and I counsel with and that my wife is friends with. I'm not trying to say you run the other way at all times. I'm not saying that. But listen, um, Hunter Jones does not need to be confiding in a female. Well, you don't understand, Hunter. Like she's, she's friends with my, my wife. We vacation together. I don't care who she is. I'm not attracted to her. I don't care if you are or not. Man's mind, woman's mind, how the enemy works. If you crack a door, the enemy will always slither through it. And so what you're going to do is you're going to get in your car and you're going to try to justify this point that I'm making. I'm telling you, I've seen more marriages destroyed than protected. There's no room for it. We have to protect. We got to watch the way we dress. We got to watch the way our children dress. We don't need to be putting people in scenarios and situations that create temptation. And this is where I start to lose people because you think that I'm like really charging you guys with wearing full body suits to the water, right? Like, it doesn't matter if you're scuba diving or not. I think head to toe is what we need to do. Go back to the 50s. I'm not saying that. But listen, I would much rather have my marriage and have my children and have my ministry and look foolish. Do you hear me? So what do we want? Please hang with me. What do we want? We want to honor God. We want to keep our families intact. We want to avoid pain. And if that's what we want, you're going to have to protect it. You're going to have to protect it. You're going to have to try to avoid the pain of not doing so. Young person, don't you want to enjoy the gift the way that it was meant to be given? You know that feeling when you're watching pornography or there's premarital sexual intimacy and you know that feeling of just like, no, this isn't right. I'm trying to justify. It's not supposed to feel right because it's not. But man, the gift of sex and the gift of intimacy and the blessings of marriage, when you enjoy the gift in the way that it was supposed to be given, it feels right. There's pleasure. There's joy in it. You have to protect it. Young person, don't you want to sit across the table from the person you're going to be married and give that gift to them? And so we're, we're talking about the Hail Marys in our culture today. But here's the thing. If you're young, please hang with your pastor for a minute. So many of us will stand before our future wives and husbands and we will have to explain to them all the people that we gave that gift to that are not them. We'll go, man, I wish I could have. I wish I could have. I wish I could stand here and tell you that this gift was special for you, but it's not. And so for our young people, guys, we cannot be throwing our middle school and high school and college age kids out there and go, hey, listen, just figure it out. They will fail 100 percent of the time. 
Young person, you have to protect what God has called us to keep pure. Because it is such a wonderful, special gift when you can give that gift of your purity to the one you say I do to. That is a special, special gift. And if you want to give it the way that God intended it to be given, you're going to have to protect it. That's what God is calling us to in this command. He is calling us to protect what we deem important, and that is our marriage and the ministry of it. This is what I want you to hear. Not only does God call us to protect, but he also calls us to forgiveness and grace when we fail to do so. So please hear me. This is kind of how we wrap in. Not only does God call us to protect that, which we might not even be tempted in yet. He calls us when we fail, when we have fallen, when we have done the things that we wish we had not done, when we cannot give our spouse that gift, when we have failed and we have sinned and we have been David. He calls us to seek forgiveness when we fail and forgiveness. We find healing and restoration. So I want you to look at Sam, second Samuel again. I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. In 2 Samuel, David falls. We just read it. He falls. He falls to depression. He falls to sadness. It says he shaves his head, put a sax cloth on. He is praying to the Lord, enough, I am sorry. He seeks forgiveness. He repents and God shows him grace. Right? Shows him Grace. I still want you to be at Second Samuel, but I'm going to read to you. I told you at some point we're going to find this space. You remember when we read at the very beginning Psalms? And so do you know who writes Psalms 30? It is the older version of David. So he is past bearing his son. He is past adultery. He is past the sackcloth. And what does he say? A much older David has been restored. He has been forgiven. He has been shown grace and mercy. He is a new man. He is still the man after God's own heart. And he says, you have turned from me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth. He is talking about the verse we just read in 2 Samuel. You have put it off me and you have closed me now with gladness. So the man who stepped out of faith, for the man who confused the world, for the man who had blood on his hands, for the man who hurt Bathsheba, for the man who buried the son, what does he say? You have closed me with gladness. How can anyone ever say such a thing? How could anyone who have done as much destructive things as David ever say such a thing? And it is only by the grace of God. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. So many years later, God has renewed him. And in his destruction, church, he has actually grown closer to the Lord. And so you know the story. David lost a son, but God gave him a new one. Not just a new son, but a son that would actually take the throne. Do you know who? Solomon. I love this thought because I talk about Solomon a lot. Because one of my favorite books is Ecclesiastes. So my brother David here just said Solomon. So David loses a son. He is literally at rock bottom, but he has a son, Solomon. Do you know who Solomon's mother is? Because David was with a lot of women. Do you know who Solomon's mother is? 
also Bathsheba. So listen to this. After bearing his son and seeking forgiveness, look at 2 Samuel 12, 24. Look at 12, 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son and they called his name Solomon. And now the Lord loved him. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And so what would happen to Solomon, this child that, that God gave, this renewed man and woman? Solomon would go on in First Kings to be the richest and the wisest man to ever walk the earth. He was also a man that had many, many ups and many downs. But at the end of his life, what did he say? Nothing in this world matters except for the Lord, right? And for all of us who have struggled, for all of us who have sinned, who all of us feel beaten down, for all of us who go, you know what, Hunter, I can't look at my children if they only knew. I can't look at my spouse if my church only knew. I'm not worthy of ministry. All this has done is beat me down. Last time I have you flip, I want you to see it. Look at 1 Kings 2. I want you to see it as we close. 1 Kings 2. This is on David's deathbed. This is on David's deathbed. He is now about to die. Any any day, any moment, Solomon at that point is around 19 to 20 years old, most people think. And look at this man who is not worthy to be writing books of the Bible. Listen to what he says. Verses 1 through 4. And now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon's son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, son. Therefore, improve yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. It's all connected, church that you may prosper in all that you do and whatever you turn, then the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all of their heart and all of their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So what I love about this, listen to me. This is king passing on a kingdom to his son. And what does he say? He goes, hey, listen, son, I'm about to tell you some really important things. I've made a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of things you need to know about how to run this place, what to do, wise, what to be on the lookout for. And what does he say? The greatest thing that you can know from sinner to sinner is to keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God. This is a picture of the Lord's Supper in David's life. We have sin. We have destruction. We have brokenness. We have repentance. And we have celebration. Even a man who has failed so much, God looks at him and says, You are a faithful man that I still call mine. Through the blood of Christ today and God's great mercy, which has reigned forever, God restores that which we have broken. Please hear me. 
through what Christ has accomplished in the spirit that lives within those that he calls his and God's great grace and mercy that has begun from the beginning of the time to the end. God restores that which man has broken. And so if you sit here today and you go, hey, Hunter, this beat the mess out of me. Hunter, I wish I would have known what commandment you were, you were going through today before I got here. Hunter, I'm going to go the rest of the day and, and feel sad about my mistakes and where, my, where I am right now. Understand that in David's life, he had committed just as worse, just as bad, and even more than you have. And God still looked on his servant and called him his. And God still restored a marriage and made a new foundation and still blessed him. Solomon, the richest and the wisest, he was born in the mess. He was born in the mess. Wrote books of the Bible. Wrote books of the Bible. You know, I've heard a few people say as we close... Honor, these Ten Commandments are really hard. They're just hard. They're hard on me. You know, I've heard a lot of that. And the truth is, your life is the defining factor in that. It's not my words. It's not Scripture. I mean, you can leave here encouraged or destroyed. Your life is the depending factor on that. But they're all words that we need to hear. And all of us, no matter if you're encouraged because you're doing well or you're destroyed because you have fallen, all of us can leave celebrating. Please hear me. All of us can leave celebrating. That God is renewed, that God is forgiven. Jesus came for this. Jesus came for this. So if you are a young person now and you're like, Hunter, like I'm already in it, man. Like I am young and I am in it. Repent, seek forgiveness and now seek purity. So that whole thought of, you know, like we're, we're going to get married. I've also heard the other like I've already opened that door. I can't close it now. I've already given myself. I'm in high school. I've already made those bad decisions. There's no going back. If I've had sex once, I've guess, I guess I've had sex a hundred times. It's not going to matter. It does matter. It does matter. Repent. Seek forgiveness. And celebrate. If you're a man or woman right now and you're on the verge, you know, we're all in different spaces. I need you to hear me. And you're like, Hunter, right now I'm, I'm speaking to the opposite sex and no one knows about it. It's at its infancy stages. Things are in my mind. Things are in my heart. Like I'm dressing differently around him or her. Like I'm flirting. I'm texting. Shut it off. Shut it off. Shut it off. When David looked at that woman, he did not think that this was going to end in disaster. And if you don't shut it off, it will end in disaster. Lastly, if you are doing well, if you are pure and young and not married and you are protecting, or you're married and you're not struggling in this, protect, protect, protect that covenant, protect that promise, protect that ministry. There's no room for temptation and you're not above it. 
I mean, I kept having that thought in my mind. I don't want to keep you here. I know I've done that a lot lately. You are not above it. Never say never. You are not above it. Protect that which you deem important. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray for my sins and I plead for the grace of the church in their sins. Lord, I pray that we see salvation in the story of David. That we see brokenness and we see pain and we see consequences. We see sadness. We see a man on, on his on his knees and his hands, face on the ground. Lord, I pray that we see this. I pray for conviction. That's what God's word is supposed to do. It's supposed to be heavy. We have people right now that are addicted to pornography in this room. We have men that are looking at things that they shouldn't be looking at, conversations that shouldn't be happening. We have people that will experience that one day. We have young people that are outside the confines of marriage being intimate with those that they shouldn't be intimate with, giving away their gift. Lord, that's brokenness. And so, Lord, I pray that we are called to repentance and forgiveness. And when we receive it, in which we will, Lord, I pray we celebrate. Lord, we are men and women who have failed who are broken, who are sad, who have given away the gift. We have given it away. In all makes and models, we have thrown it away. And somehow or another, you have chosen to give it back. Lord, for nothing that we can do or say or be, but by what was accomplished by your son who hung on the cross, who came to die for our sins, that prevent glory, you will one day look at us as you look at him. So Lord, I pray that we seek forgiveness, repent, protect, guard, seek new and celebrate for all my men and women that are hurt. Because these open wounds and this burdens us and creates a lot of hard conversations. I know there's a lot of heaviness that will happen throughout the day, Lord. I know this. And so, Lord, I pray that we choose to celebrate forgiveness. That we put our arms around one another, that we forgive those as you have forgiven us. That we are faithful and we thank God and praise God that like David, you chose the mess and you still choose to do something great in it. So, Lord, let us turn our mourning into dancing. In your precious and in your holy name, the church says in harmony. Amen.